Welcome, boys and girls. It's time for another MOH podcast. This is Jim Patton, your host. Thanks for stopping by. And don't forget to tell your friends to uh, tune into the, po- the podcast. It's available, of course, at uh, MOH.org. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on the Google Play podcast, whatever you call that. Um, it's available from podbean.com. There's a, a Podbean app for both iOS and Android. So just let your friends know, and uh, thanks for stopping by. This is going to be another uh, series, just a short series. This one is only, um, I think, two tapes. Uh, I had some real trouble with this first tape. Uh, there's a couple little bits that are chopped out. Don't blame me. They just weren't there. Uh, so, But it's okay. I think you can still, you know, there's some places where you might miss, I don't know, a few seconds, a minute or so. I don't know. But you can still follow along all right. And I had to deal with some... Uh, noises and uh, volumes that were were different on on the tape, but that doesn't matter. You don't care about that. <laughs> you just want to get the tape and listen to it. So if you are a church leader, a pastor or something, this would be really helpful for you because it'll help you to understand people in your congregation. If you could teach it, it would help them because they could understand themselves and it would help each of them to also understand others and why other people do things the way they do them. It has to do with uh, the motivations uh, again, at the end, he, he obviously ran out of time and he had to uh, shorten things out, but that's okay. Everything's there. And uh, enjoy this part one of Ministry Gifts by Winky Prattney. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, that every man, to, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has felt, to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then, verse 6, gifts according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. All right? Here is a very interesting thing. The Bible says this, that we have gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. Notice, these are not spiritual, charismatic gifts. These are just basic ministry gifts. So we'll say this. You can, you can have a gift given to you by God, of the whole way you approach life as a Christian. 
And then, in the election of God, God calls and chooses people's, we'll call them callings, if you like, as a ministry. He takes people sometimes with this basic gift here. And then you have the manifestations of the Spirit. Now, we call these charismatic gifts. This is a way we approach life as a Christian. This actually is the whole motivation of our ministry. Ministries can be, you know, there's a whole list of them here, and we'll give you, well, let's give you them now. Might as well. Romans 12, verse 3 to 9, talks about our spiritual gifts, the grace that is given to us. Then we have people who are set in the church, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 to 31. And uh, here we have a list, and also in the book of Ephesians, of different callings to ministry. And let's read these out. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Go as fast as we can here and get the basics done. Bible makes a list of, of uh, ministries. says there are apostles. There are prophets, teachers, people who have a ministry of miracles. One that springs to mind there would be Catherine Coleman. Gifts of healing, also called a healing ministry. Helps, helps is a cool ministry. What this does is it assists leadership to minister to people. And then governments, we would call this uh, administrations. We'll just call it governments, because that's what the scripture says it is. Governments, we'll define these in a little while. And then an interesting one, diversities of tongues. And then in Ephesians, uh, some of these have picked up again, apostles are, prophets, and then just in case you feel left out, evangelists. And then, interesting love, the pastors are put in here with the teachers. Teaching pastors is really what the phrase is. Teaching pastor. Manifestations are found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Again, chapter 12, verse 7 through to 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Forty-one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. I'll just read these out and we'll come back and look at them. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, to another faith, to another the gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. All right? All of us sitting here in this room have a spiritual gift. Whether you ever think you've ever had any of these or not, you all have one of those to recognize it 
is one of the most exciting things you can find in life. Then, to many people that God has given gifts, there are ministry callings. God calls people and separates them for certain forms of ministry. Uh, the first step is to discover what this is, and then sometimes a person will be called with a, one kind of spiritual uh, motivational gift, and then God will call them to do something else uh, quite different. You might, well, let's put the gifts down first, and then you, we'll start defining these. You all got that down? Let's write out bit by bit. One by one. First one is called prophecy. Now, prophecy does not mean to fortune tell. In the Bible, the basic word is to speak out with divine power. To speak forth. Sometimes in the scriptures, very, very rarely, God will give you a glimpse of what is going to happen in the future, the whole sweep of things are going towards, for instance, the Apostle Paul was about to head to Jerusalem, and a prophet called Agabus stood up, and he said, uh, took Paul's girdle, and he said, this man who wears this is going to be bound if he goes to Jerusalem. And Paul, seeing, knowing what was ahead of him, it's sort of like God's warning, there's people in there that want to kill you, Paul, they want to tie you up, and if you arrive, they're going to do it. Paul said... Why you, why, you know, but he went, oh, wow, you know, Paul, if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound. He said, why are you crying, trying to break my heart? He said, I'm not only ready to be bound, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. But you see the warning of God. God says, Paul, you understand what you're getting into now. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up. And he speaks to the prophet. Now, very rarely in Scripture do we have prophecy as fortune-telling. And when people come up and do this kind of thing, the Lord hath given me a prophecy over you. Yea, and behold, thou wilt be married to a tall, dark-eyed stranger and have seven children and die on a boat at the 4th of August, 1982. Then you can usually say to yourself, bless God, they're out to lunch. Because this is not the basic meaning of prophecy. In the scriptures, another way of saying it would be to proclaim truth. Now, a person who has this kind of basic approach to Christian living, uh, his whole or her whole ministry seems to show up where you're a mess. They're really good at that. When you hear somebody with a, a gift of prophecy, not Gene Dixon, what they do is they're they present the truth of God and show up where your life's a mess. They are not popular people to have around. You don't like them every day. See, because they just, every time they open their mouths, you feel rotten again. Now, the kind of person that goes, This is what the Word of God goes, bam, and it comes and sits there, and you go, Oh, baby, another bunch, you know. And what it does, it really shows up the mess. Here is what a, uh, a prophet would be like in terms of his, uh, an amplification of what his ministry looks like. 
And this is not the ministry calling of being a prophet. This is the motivation. Do you see? You, you may have this motivation that God called you to be an evangelist. Something totally different from that. To be persuasive in speech. To be good uh, at persuading people. Do you remember the Apostle Paul talking to that king? King said to him, Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. It's a wham. It's a, uh, to bring to light things concealed. Really good at shining flashlights around. The basic thing a prophet can do is to bring to light hidden things so people fall on their knees and worship God and say, well, God is, oh, I didn't know he knew all that. And bring it all out. 1 Corinthians 4.25, a, a preacher who's a prophet who has this basic motivation must do these following things. I'm going to give you things you must do and dangers in your ministry. You must love without hypocrisy. You can't pretend to love if you're a prophet or have that gift. You must hate that which is evil. And you must hold fast to that which is good. You can see these are basic things. Why should you love without hypocrisy? Why should you really love people? God has given you this motivational gift. Why should you do it? Because remember the way you're saying things. You are blowing people out of their chairs every time you open your mouth. And if you don't really love them, you'll kill them. person who has this basic motivational gift could absolutely slice to ribbons a congregation or a group of people unless he really loves them. People don't mind being sliced to ribbons if they know they're being lovingly sliced to ribbons. What they don't like is when they get sliced to ribbons and there's nobody there to put them back together again. And you must love without hypocrisy. Why must you hate that which is evil? And hold fast to that which is good. Yeah, because remember what your ministry is. You have a ministry of absolutes as a prophet. Every time people start talking about rights and wrongs, you light up like a Christmas tree. Because that's where you're at. Your whole motivation is like that. You love people who can... When you hear somebody, maybe, who has a, a calling of a prophet start to preach, you, you go, oh boy, I, I really like that, see? And every time you meet somebody, you want to make them like that, too. Here is what you must be careful of if you are a person that God has gifted in this area. Here are some dangers for your ministry. One, becoming proud of your rhetoric. You can say, boy, that's so far out, the things that I say. I really say some heavy things sometimes. You can be proud of your persuasiveness. You can say, look at what I've, you know, I've got a whole crowd of people here and I can, you know, I can really lay it on them. Here is another danger you can, can become more dependent on your ability to speak than on the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. A prophet, you know, is very good at, at uh, speaking, 
but it, it's the Holy Ghost who breaks people's hearts. And what you can do is you can get so carried away with your rhetoric that you forget to ask God to demonstrate his power. Do you see? It is possible, in other words, to sway people by persuasion alone, and they come up flying up to the front and their hearts unbroken. And then here is the big danger of the prophet. Because he's so good at, at uh, challenging people, he can look on people as groups instead of as individuals that have needs. One of the temptations of a prophet is to bitterness when the three people have come to listen to him. See? In other words, you know, somebody says, I want you to share with my group. So he goes, praise God, yes, and he's all prayed up and he's ready. To, and there's three people there, see? And he goes, oh, well, sh you know, I don't want, perhaps I shouldn't speak. See, instead of... He, Dangerous to see people as groups instead of individuals with needs. And those are three real dangers with that particular motivational gift. All right, that's that one. We'll come back to the ministry of a prophet in a second. This is just the gift. Now, I want you as we go through these things to see this. When... Whenever you hear somebody who's got that same kind of ministry gift as you, um, you'll, you'll find a sort of an excitement or a joy, a real excitement coming up. You know? And then uh, you will find, you'll never think like a meeting is really together unless there is that in it. You'll always miss it, do you see? The thing that's your gift, you'll miss. If you meet another Christian and they're talking about everything and they're heavy and everything except where you are, you'll always feel they need to learn a lot. This is a... Um, let's put another one down. The ministry of serving. Now, most people don't think this is a gift. But it is. It's a genuine spiritual gift. It is to show love by meeting practical needs. And I could name right now a number of people in this school that have this gift. I want you to notice, this isn't something which you, you do if you can't preach. Do you understand? It is a whole lifestyle of living that comes out of something God has put into your heart when you become a Christian. It is the ministry of showing love by meeting practical needs. And the essential it means to see personal needs, to detect needs, to anticipate them, uh, and to overlook personal sacrifice and sometimes discomfort to meet those needs. Here are the three things that must be true about a server. They must have a genuine affection for others. Notice the change of word. You must not only love people, you must be affectionate to them. Do you understand the difference? This is a, a real strong friendship Thing. A person who's a server is an affectionate person. It's the 
motivation of their hearts, then to show brotherly responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? Remember that guy who said that? I know a monkey that said, am I my keeper's brother? But you see, the Bible talks about us being watching out for each other's needs and, and uh, this brotherly responsibility is what we're talking about. To see, I have a, a, a share in helping all those that I see. And then here's the other one, to be willing to let others have the credit. This takes an awful lot of grace, friends. Now, I always look on the server as, as like, the, uh, like an army. The, uh, what do they call it? There's a word for the backup. Yeah, no, not the... Uh, no, no, it's a word. I hope not... Lo no, it's like uh, logistics. It's a word like that. It's, it's, it's a word that is used for, def for talking about all the food, medical. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's uh, oh boy, there's a word. It's like logistics. Do you, you understand the thing it is? It's the whole backup support of the army. It's not the fighting force itself. It's not the ones in the front line. It's that which is necessary to get the transportation, the food there, the medical supplies, how to get all that stuff over there. Now, if you don't have that, you can forget your army after two days. If you don't have these troops, you can forget about how good fighters you got because you got nobody left. They got no food, they've got no ammunition, they've got no medical supplies, and that right there is the end of the war. The servers are not up on the front. They're not jumping around the front preaching and teaching and People don't usually put TV cameras on them and say, here is a server. She holds the whole place together. But these are the ones that keep the troops going. Without them, the troops don't go. They just pack up and fold in. I can imagine a preacher coming to school of evangelism and no servers being here. He comes down skinny because he hasn't eaten for 17 days. His bed has turned into a block of ice because nobody told them that there is a little handle which you can turn, which turns on the heating system. Do you understand how important these people are? He dies of pneumonia halfway through because nobody put any clothes on his bed. Now that, to, you may think this is a sort of a silly little thing, but I think this is a critical ministry. If God doesn't raise up people like that and a whole bunch of them, do you understand for every preacher there may be four or five servers? This is the backbone of the army, but they don't stand up front. Nobody takes pictures of them and say, this is the cook. They hold this place to... Do you see what I mean? In the army, you don't go, here is a... They're the ones usually that people hardly ever talk about. But they, as far as I'm concerned, have an incredible ministry. So one of the things they must be willing to do is let others have the credit for what is really their base support. Here is the dangers of a server, being proud of your good deeds. How far out I am. I have done all these good deeds, I have. Uh, here's another danger, being pushy. 
or premature in meeting the needs of others before they realize those needs. <laughs> let, me, let me give you an illustration here. Here's uh, somebody, Ernie Rive. Door opens. Um, here's the following things. You're going to be eating now. Sit down. Here's soup meal. Um, good. Oh, thank you. Uh, three minutes later. Uh, here's another meal. Should eat this too. Do you know this kind of thing? <laughs> the, mm, uh, now, get into bed now, quickly. It's about time. That is getting ridiculous. So a, a server's got to be careful of pushiness because, see, servers are usually so good at knowing what ought to be done that sometimes they'll tell people what ought to be done before that person realizes what ought to be done. And that's called pushiness. Here's another danger. Getting better when deeds are not appreciated. One of the dangers girls fall into often is self-pity. See, and uh, if, uh, if a girl is a ministry of serving and uh, she seems to be neglected a couple of days, then it's a danger to get bitter. And then here's another danger to overemphasize the practical to the exclusion of the spiritual. We call this social Christianity when it becomes a movement. Social gospel, which is, I believe, Christian living is practical. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody's whole life now centers around food and making sure that people have, that they never pray, they don't pray for them, they don't do anything else. They just, you see? You shouldn't just be a, a cook who is incidentally a Christian. You should be a Christian cook with all that entails. So you can look at your meat patties when you're finished and say it is good. <laughs> this is the work of my hands. But seriously, I think you should take pride in, in the things you do as a ministry. So you can present your offering. <laughs> no burnt offerings, please. Here's the next gift. The ministry of the... Not the ministry of teaching, the gift of teaching. The motivation here is to make things clear. To clarify. A person who has this basic motivation is somebody who always wants to get to the bottom of things, to clear out all the alternatives, to make sure it's absolutely crystal in their minds. And what they have is a motivation to search out and present truth. Then they love sitting down with a typewriter or a you know, giant lexicons and spending hours and hours and hours just finding out what one word is. And uh, this is a whole ministry. That's the way they approach life. Everything they do, search it out. Hmm, what is it? Let's make sure it's this. See, that's the gift of teaching. Here is uh, what will amplify the thing here. To engage in research and detailed study. You must understand this is a calling. It's a, it's a, a basic way, a gift that God has put in somebody's heart when they become a Christian. And in order to validate truth, to validate what is true, you know, find out, silly saying validate truth, but just 
to validate out of all the information you have what is actually biblical and what is not. It means to dig out facts. And then there is a great motivation to accumulate knowledge here. This person becomes a living sponge. Everything said will be and stuck into the memory banks. Okay? Here's what a teacher must be. One, this is not, again, the ministry of teaching. It's the gift of teaching. It's that motivation of teaching. It must be diligent in details. You can see how important this is. The teacher, remember, is one who's got to be clear. He can't be foggy then in small details. He must be not in, you know, he's not a, necessarily a speculative philosophical person, but he's a careful person. It's like trying to build a wall when you build like this and you're putting the bricks in and you say, well, oops, I left that one, you know. And you, that's the way the wall finally looks. You know, any good old wolf can blow that one down. So, you have to be careful in details, little things. And a person who has that ministry will always, when somebody's preaching, they miss out a little detail, their mind will go, click, click, details. Fervent in spirit. Why fervent in spirit? I was teaching in a church in Florida, and I think I mentioned this to some of you. Maybe I didn't. I was teaching in a church in Florida, and this guy said, I want you to come and teach in my church. So I said, okay. Prayed about it. The Lord said, yes. I arrived in Florida. This guy, uh, guy said, well, we're starting the meetings tonight. I got there. There was about seven people and a dog there. And it was a large church. It could take about a thousand people. And I said, to, well, it wasn't seven people and a dog. There were probably more. Eight. <laughs> but there are, you know... There weren't a large number. I said, oh, you don't have many people out for midweek service. He said, oh, yeah, usually it's packed. I said, oh, thanks a lot. You know? <laughs> I said, what, uh, how come the people aren't coming out? Are they tired or something? He said, oh, no, I made a mistake. On the publicity I sent out, I said you would be teaching. And I said, what's wrong with that? I said, oh, he said, well, we've only had one. There he is, man with an IQ of about 185 and used to talking to engineers and up there in his room before he comes down to preach he's on his knees saying God help me to say it so they understand it and crying his eyes out you know man concerned about response do they get it can they understand it you know it's really I can imagine Einstein trying to say relativity to a three-year-old all right, next. The gift of excitation. This is a fun gift. Every now and then you'll meet people like this. Gift of excitation. What they do is they stimulate faith. Man, they are good at that. Can't meet them without feeling faith lifted. Basic uh, definition of this is to call to the side to challenge one to go in a particular direction. And we'd say this, it, it involves uh, personal counseling and challenge for spiritual growth. 
person with a ministry gift of excitation? Uh, let me tell you somebody who's like this. His name is Charlie Tremendous Jones. His regular name is Charlie Jones, but they can't call him Charlie Jones because he's tremendous. So they call him Charlie Tremendous Jones. And what he does, he comes, he, this, listen, this is so powerful in his life, he can take executives that would pay $1,000 for a two-hour course and challenge the cheese out of them. He does it all the time. It's a very, very powerful thing. I was in a, a seminar one time under Youth of Christ in Winona Lake, and we've been all day from about nine in the morning, it was about four in the afternoon. You know, that's graveyard shift if you're a preacher. It's three to four. And we're all sitting there, blank-eyed, tails have all unbushied off. We're just sitting there just looking, you know, and now we're going to have Charlie Tremendous doing it. We don't know, Tremendous. You know, and this guy, we're all, you know, we're obviously here, next speaker, right. And he came out, man. I, I mean, white suit. <laughs> and he came out with a gun. And he walked down the stage, he went, bang! And he went, ah! You know, Break up! He said, don't we wake up? Yes, yes, yes. Then he preached a two-and-a-half-hour sermon. We sat on the edge of our chairs. And believe that, dude. Now, there is the ministry of exhortation, the ability to challenge people. Now, somebody got that. They just wander around, and every person they bump into wants to go to Africa. Do you know? <laughs> that kind of person. Ministry of exhortation. Here is the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here is what they do. They must rejoice in hope. You can see there's not very many hopeful people around, so they must rejoice in it. Their whole, their whole excitement comes from saying, wow, wouldn't it be great if this happened? You see, and you think, yeah, it would be great if it, why doesn't it? They must be patient with slow progress. Exhorters get frustrated sometimes. Because they're laying it on people, people are going, yeah, yeah, I, it's possible, you know. And not only that, they must become persistent in prayer. Prayer for them is a weapon. They hang in there day after day, God, bam them again, give it to them again. Amen. <laughs> now here, <laughs> glory. Here are the dangers of being an exhorter. To boast of your results. Boasting of your results. Another one is discouragement with lack of progress. You go and you exhort a bunch of people and you exhort them and you exhort them again. And afterwards they go, yeah, it's possible. You know, real danger. Now, here's a real danger. To motivate others for selfish gain. So personal gain. Now remember, this is a gift God gives. I actually think I know some preachers that God gave this gift to. They preached to a church they were in. They got discouraged because the people didn't respond. So they chucked in the ministry, and now they're 
$100,000 a year executives motivating other people using the gift God gave them for the world. That's a frightening thing, but I've seen it happen many, many times. Now, old Charlie Jones, man, he can ask and get $20,000 a week for his services in an industrial thing. And he goes and preaches the gospel. He gets in there, man, and he lays it on him. But you see, once you have this base, it's a very powerful gift. And it really moves people. And all over the world, there are people who have given up hope. Not just in Christian circles, but in secular circles, they've got absolutely no hope. So the exhorter, you get a man who can challenge people to put out and challenge them to really get it together and get stuck out into something, and that people will pay the earth to have somebody like that come in. I know one man in one business that, uh, well, let me give you the other one, otherwise I'll be on details here. <laughs> Spending too much time with those who only want temporary relief. That's a really basic thing. You know, there's a lot of people that want counseling, but they don't want help. Do you understand the difference? I know how to pick them, I think. They're the ones that come up six times. Not for, not for questions, but do you see? Oh, I've got another problem now. Then really, they feed on counseling. You've got to watch this kind of person because to counsel them more is actually to do a disservice to them. Uh, there was a girl in Finland who, you know, we were trying to help her and minister. It was a bit difficult to interrupt her. But we were working on this, and I just couldn't get anywhere. She sat there and said, there's nothing. I don't think anybody can help me. She just sat there. And I looked at her, and I, I uh, after a little while, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, have you been counseled before? She said, oh, yes. I said, by how many people? She said, oh, just about everybody. I said, I know what your problem is. You don't want help. You just want being, you like being counseled. You're a lonely girl, so you like to have a lot of attention that comes your way just by people spending time with you and counseling you. And I'm going to say this to you, I'm not going to spend any more time with you until you're willing to change. Now, sometimes I've said this to a kid, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to get right with God right now. And if you don't, I'm walking out of that door and you won't see me again. Done it sometime. Remember a girl we were dealing with? We went three hours with this crazy girl. Ah, said she had demons, said she had everything. I couldn't see any demons, you know. Just a big fat girl that didn't want to change. <laughs> but, you know, we, we dealt with it in the early hours of the morning, and I thought, this is ridiculous. There's a demon in here, he should have left by now. I'm trying to cast the girl out of this demon. <laughs> And finally, I just said to her, listen, you got a problem, and it's not demonic. It's just plain sin. You don't want to change. So I gave her 60 seconds. I said, you got 60 seconds. If you don't get right, real right now with God, both of us are leaving, and you never see us again, this world or the next. And uh, she went, oh, don't know where I got right. So I said, boy, I wish you'd done that before. It would have saved us two hours. Giving. 
That's another ministry. This is to um, the motivation to give personal assets. And God, who gives a person a ministry of giving, enables them to make money hand over foot. Just personal assets to others for the furtherance of ministry. Now, I praise God for the givers of men. When my wife and I were married, we headed out. We didn't know anybody from anybody. We headed out to minister, and I went into Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was preaching there in a church, and this, I met a man who had a gift of giving, and he came up and said, what do you need? I said, I don't think we need anything. We, you know, my wife, me, God, that's it. And uh, he said, I'm going to buy you something. He bought me a coat. I'd never in my life ever had another coat. And he bought me a London fog, and I've still got it today. And, you know, I went from there up to Seattle, and it rained, and it was cold, and everything else, and I would have died without that thing. And I've carried around all over the world. That's, that's a giver. Somebody who he took his personal assets, and uh, so that the ministry had gone. A lot of times this is financial, but it isn't always. The responsibility of a giver is to organize his business well so that he can have uh, to gain assets for the kingdom of God. Now, I know men who do this. Their chief joy is to get vast amount of money they can use for the kingdom of God. I'm not going to tell you the name. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, H.C., one of them starts with it. Um, an ability to make quick decisions. This is important. Regarding the immediate needs which people have. You have to be able to make fast decisions as a giver because you can't say, well, let's see. I know you're cold and starving and hungry now. However, come and see us next year and we'll see. Be warmed. Be clothed. Be filled. <laughs> Here... Here is a couple of things a giver must do. He must give freely to the total needs. Notice this word, total needs. In New Zealand, we only have a few millionaires. There's not many millionaires in New Zealand. Somebody writes out a check for $100,000 in New Zealand, the entire economy is unbalanced. But we have a few millionaires in New Zealand, and one of these guys is a spiritual Christian man. Lovely guy. One day I was out in his yacht... <coughs> And uh, he said to me, do you know, I have to be very careful whom I give money to. We weren't talking about money, but we're talking about helping other people. He said, I've got to be very careful who I give money to. He said, because you can destroy people with money. You can destroy them. Totally wreck them. Ah, my parents, my mother is very good at this giving thing, but you need real wisdom in it to, uh, to our whole family that... When they were poor, they sought God. When they were well off, they rejected him. Remember David's prayer? Feed me with food that is convenient for me, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord my God in vain, or lest I be full and deny thee, saying, Who is the Lord? Danger. Total needs. And to take a genuine interest in the needs of strangers. You must understand when you meet a giver, 
their conversation will be laced with business-type things. You have to understand that's part and parcel of what God has given them. Their business is part of their ministry. You may think, oh, this guy, you know, he just talks about business. That is his ministry, do you understand? He long, when, he, when a giver comes in and he sees things done sloppily, he doesn't like it at all. Because he's an organized, disciplined man who's put together a woman that's put together a business in order to make things available. When he sees Christians fool around financially, have debts, he's really angry. See that? He's a person who's very together in this business thing. And when he talks to you and shares with you, he always will bring in his business because that is his ministry. He'll talk about how God gave him ideas to do things. He'll talk about how God helped him carry off a sale. He'll ask you to pray that God will enable him to carry off, make a couple of very large deals. He'll do this all the time. And he really means it. It's a ministry. This is the dangers of the giver. He can become proud of his giving. Notice these first ones are pride ones. And then he can merit, this is a real danger, to measure spiritual success by material assets. can never do that. You've got to remember, David numbered the people and God judged him for it by material assets. And then here's the danger, to overlook long-range goals by meeting immediate needs. Sometimes, for instance, God wants to discipline a ministry. God wants to uh, bring it in closer to himself before he can expand it, right? And a giver, if he doesn't watch out, he'll see they've got an immediate need, get an immediate and the long-range goal is overlooked. So a, gi a giver's got to be really wise or he can... Stop, step in and overrule something that God is trying to do. All right, that's the giver. Zip, zip, zip. Quickly now. Ministry of ruling. This is a God-appointed, Joy Dawson, God-anointed leaders. Yeah, this is a gift of ruling, of administration, we would call it. Government, the Bible calls it. It's a really cool thing. It is a, a, a gift of coordination of people in order to achieve goals that they have in common. Now, a person who has a ministry of ruling or governments can take uh, two different sets of groups that have the same basic goal and put them together, coordinate them for a common task. Really good at that. Here's the basic meanings to preside over, to lead. They're real leaders in a full sense of the word. Um, they stand before. That's another. They are, they're kind of you're like figureheads to unite. And then what they are good is distinguishing the major tasks. They can... Sort through all the nervous confusion and tell you this is the important thing. This is what we need to get done. And uh, they can help those around to see it, to visualize it. Now, that's their chief and major ministry.
they can pick out through all the confusion what needs to be done, and then the people who are around them, they can go, now, this, and the people go, oh, yeah, that's what we have to do. Very, very good at that. Here are the rules of the ruler. He must bless those that curse him. Why? Because a lot of people will curse him. Why will they do that? Because a ruler always seems to be the task, the one who's up there, and he's going to get the brunt of blame. Do you see? They're up the front, and they're doing it, and, uh, and uh, a lot of people are going to shoot at him because of what is being accomplished or what they think ought to be accomplished. And here is another major thing. He must do what he can to make the life of those around him happy and spiritually prosperous. Now, this is a major thing. A man who has a ministry, a gift of ruling, must be able to make those who are around him, who he is uniting and coordinating, happy and spiritually together. Here's a dangerous, quickly, being proud of his power. You know, it's a very powerful thing to be a ruler. Sometimes you can be in charge of thousands and thousands of people, and millions of dollars worth of money and goods that go through your hands every year. Here's the danger, to use people to accomplish goals instead of meeting personal needs. How many times have I seen Christian works find a person who is talented, had some very obvious character flaws and faults in their life, but they were very useful to accomplish something that that person wanted to do. And so they completely overlooked, did not take into account, didn't even bother to look seriously at those major character faults and instead simply put that person in the place where they feel they would accomplish the task God wanted them to do. Now this is a very deadly danger. I'll tell you what, you may accomplish your thing more or less, and I'll say more or less because I think you'll find God won't be in it, but I'll tell you what you won't do. You'll probably lose this person and they may just drop right out of the whole Christian life entirely. It is important that you see that people, when they get saved, must give their good things to God as well as their bad things. They must die to their good things as well as their bad things. Here's the last ministry. Write it very quickly. We've got five minutes. Mercy. The motivation to identify with and comfort those in distress. These people are very, very good at identification. We'll use the word empathy. They can stand in somebody's shoes. They can mentally and emotionally relate to their needs and give them help. Be merciful must. Be happy with those that are happy. Rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Do you know what a merciful person is like? Here comes somebody, they're excited because they've just had something wonderful happen. The merciful goes, praise God, that's really exciting, you know. And then the ones that weep, they weep with. Sometimes you just need a shoulder to cry on.
Look for a ministry of mercy. Don't go to a prophet. He won't help you. <laughs> He'll say not only that, but also... <laughs> be proud of his ability to emphasize and then to resent those who are not sensitive to personal needs. This is a danger of the person whose ministry of mercy. You go, well, how come, how come she doesn't understand? I hate her for that. Failing to be firm when necessary. A real danger of the, of the person with the ministry of mercy or the gift of mercy is that they are, sometimes they get sloppy. They just cry and weep and they don't do anything else. They will not stand up sometimes and say, listen, you need to learn it. To be guided by your feelings rather than the word of God and facts. That is a danger of the ministry of mercy. To just let your feelings determine what you do and say rather than the word of God and the facts of the situation. All right, now I'm going to give you something frightening. Are you ready for this? We are commanded to do all seven of those things. First Corinthians 14, 1. Scribble these down, declaring truth. First Corinthians 14, 1. Colossians 5, 13, through love serve one another. Galatians 5, 13. Oh, Galatians, sorry. Galatians 5, 13. Colossians 3, 16. Teaching. Hebrews 3.13, exhortation. Hebrews 3.13. Matthew 10.8, giving. Proverbs 17.2, ruling. He that ruleth his spirit is mightier than he that taketh the city. Mercy. Luke 10.37, good Samaritan, go thou and do likewise. Paul seven ministries. Now, here's the cool thing. Each of you will therefore be challenged to carry out all the other six that you do not have, and you'll approach them through your own basic motivation. The red light. Okay. Well, we'll stop at this point and continue. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Now give us revelation as to where we fit. And help us to understand the different pressures you run us through in order to develop in us the character of Christ. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. All right, hopefully you found something there that will be useful. Hopefully you could recognize yourself there and uh, realize that, that uh, the reason you do things has to do with the gift that God gave you, the, the gift for your ministry, the ministerial gift. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> uh, spiritual gift that has to do with ministry. And uh, we'll have the second part next week. Thanks for tuning in, and I uh, hope, you, hope you got something out of this, and we'll uh, see you later. Thanks. <laughs>